Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. Um, I am really excited to be here. I have no complaints other than it got really cold again today. I'm pretty unhappy about that. It's a minor issue, though, but it's just, it's on our minds, so I'm just going to say it. Well, welcome to the Quarry. <laughs> Welcome to the quarry. I'm excited to get to look at a few of you a little bit more than I normally do tonight, so this will be good. It'll be fun. And I don't think I've ever, well, I don't want to say never because then you're going to go back on the podcast and I will have done it like five times. But I don't really remember pre- preaching like a very Easter message before. Does anyone remember if I have? I don't really think that I have. I mean, maybe something Easter inspired, but tonight I think that I have kind of the weirdest Easter message I've ever heard, okay? So I'm excited to share it with you guys tonight, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. And I'm actually going to start by just reading you kind of part of a story tonight. Is that okay? We'll ease into it with a story, and it's found in Mark 15, verses 6 through 15. So it's a little bit of a longer passage. But this is before Jesus went to the cross. So if we think this through and put it in modern day times, Jesus went on trial. It was on the news. He had to go before this person. He had his first trial, and then they had to deliberate, and then they had to come back for another trial. So Jesus wasn't just randomly killed. He was on trial, and the government put him to death. And so this is kind of where it started. He had already been arrested. Um, They already had him in captivity, and they brought him before this guy named Pontius Pilate. I don't know what Pontius means. I didn't look it up, but he's a historic figure if you ever want to Google him. He's not just a Bible guy, but he was a historic figure who presided over this portion of Jesus' trial. And so this is what happened. Every year at Passover, it was the custom of the governor to pardon a prisoner and release him to the people, anyone they wanted. So basically, to celebrate the Passover feast and the Passover festival, someone got out of jail free, and the people got to pick who that was. Now, Pilate was holding in custody a notorious criminal named Barabbas, one of the assassins who had committed murder in an uprising. This guy was well-known. If you read other translations, he was a well-known criminal, just like Jesus. His trial was also very, very public. So people knew who Barabbas was and what he had done. He was a criminal and also a murderer. The crowds gathered in front of Pilate's judgment bench, and they asked him to release a prisoner to them, as was his custom. And so he asked them, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Because at that time, he had Jesus in custody. And when you read the story, Pilate says over and over, listen, this man has done nothing wrong. I can't find anything to convict him. I'm the judge here. I'm the ruler here. I'm conducting this trial. And when I look at the evidence, there's nothing against him. So he comes to the people to say, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Because Jesus was well known and had a lot of fans. He had a lot of people who hated him too. This is why he got arrested in the first place. But he had a lot of fans. So Pilate is assuming that the people are going to want Jesus free. First of all, he hasn't done anything wrong. Second of all, he's really popular. He's super famous. He's controversial, but like people love him. He's always in the news. So Pilate comes and asks him this. Do you want me to release to you Jesus? Pilate was fully aware that the religious leaders had handed Jesus over to him because of spite and envy. So for no good reason. Verse 11 says, but the ruling priest had stirred up the crowd to incite them to ask for Barabbas, the criminal and murderer, instead. And Pilate said, what do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? And they all shouted back, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil thing has he done wrong to deserve that? But they kept shouting with a deafening roar, crucify him 
at once. And because he wanted to please the people, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after Jesus was severely beaten with a whip made of leather straps and embedded with metal, he sentenced him to be crucified. So this was really big news. I like to read the Bible and I like to think about how it would go down if it was happening today. Sometimes we think because thousands of years ago, you know, things were like super different. Some things were super different, but other things weren't. This was a very controversial situation. There was a lot of uh, heat and temperaments and a lot of people on both sides. This was something people got really, really heated about, which if there's one thing we've seen in the last year, there's a lot of things that people get really heated about, right? Some of it really matters, some of it doesn't, right? I do not dare share my opinion on masks, which I barely have one, in a public place because I don't want to hear what people have to say about it, right? People are heated. Well, in this same situation, people are heated. Before this ever happened with Jesus, they saw Barabbas on the news and they said, gosh, that's awful. Did you hear what that guy did? Right? Just like when we're at work, we're like, man, did you see that on the news? That was horrible. Did you see what that guy did? I watched this documentary and it was just horrible. That was Barabbas. He was a criminal and a murderer and he was well known. People knew about him. His news story had been big. But at the same time, Jesus was a big news story too. So it was a big deal that Jesus got arrested. Uh, Pontius Pilate is looking saying, there is no evidence against this guy. Why do I have him here in custody? Why are we holding him? I don't understand why there's a case here. So people are really heated on both sides. Throughout the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus had a lot of really committed, loving followers. But he also had people who had been planning to kill him for a long time. Like before he was born, King Herod already was trying to kill him. Jesus literally lived his whole life like dodging assassins right literally his whole life so people were really heated about this and here's what I want to say to you about it tonight I've always read this and thought like how weird like how dumb do people have to be to stand there and in a lot of translations that says they were shouting give us Barabbas the crowd was shouting give us Barabbas give us Barabbas and you're thinking why would they say that like anyone with half a brain, why would they be standing there asking for a murderer to be released back into them rather than a guy who's done nothing wrong? Even if you think Jesus is crazy and kind of weird and you don't really get it, he hasn't killed anyone. So if we're thinking about this logically, why would anyone ask for Barabbas? It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. I can see no reason in reading this story that people would ask for Barabbas. And yet they did. The crowd, who had been stirred up by the priest, somebody else put this idea in their minds. They said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And this makes no sense. Makes no sense. But I want to tell you what God spoke to me about. And I had to realize there were a few things in my life that, that they just made no sense. And a few things I see in the culture that have made no sense. And today, we're in a crowd of our own. It's called our culture. The culture is a crowd. The culture is a crowd. Crowds are a few things, right? Crowds are very loud, very loud. Crowds are also really pushy, like literally and figuratively. I have been bumped many times in a crowd, and frankly, I'm not proud to say this, but at more than a couple concerts, if somebody is just getting on my nerves, not giving me the space I need, they keep, like, mushing their sweaty armpit in my face, I've, I've just... Dance, it wasn't that aggressive, but just kind of acting like I'm having a good time and just 
bump them enough to get them out of my way. Crowds are pushy. Gets on my nerves. There's, there's like a certain crowd etiquette that should be observed, and some people don't observe it. So I've been the pusher at times. But also, crowds are really pushy about their ideas, right? Really pushy about their ideas. You can answer this honestly. How many of you in the last year or two, there have been times where you have felt uh, really embarrassed and uncomfortable being a Christian? Me. I can say that. Why? Because we're in a pushy crowd. Our culture is very pushy. And when something so personal and so valuable to me starts coming under fire, it's really easy to just kind of feel like, I don't know what to do with that. You know, somebody what, if somebody calls me uh, closed-minded because I follow the Bible. First of all, it's easy to get offended and a little upset because that's very personal to me. But second of all, it's a little bit easy for that to just shake you. And when enough people say it, you're thinking like, well, gosh, like, am I being judgmental and I don't realize it? Am I being closed-minded? Maybe I do need to think about things more openly. Maybe I do need to understand where people are coming from. Why do we think those things? Because the crowd is pushy. And I believe there's a little bit of truth in that, but I don't believe there's truth when it comes to certain issues that the Bible says are black and white. Safe, not safe. Uh, you know, living God's way and living in a way of sin. It's not really popular to think in those terms, and it's not popular to open your mouth in that way and say things like, you know what? I believe gay marriage is wrong. But it gets uncomfortable when somebody tells me, oh, well, you hate gay people. Oh, you, you, I can't believe you would say that about someone. What's wrong with two people who love each other? Well, I have to go home and answer these questions. <laughs> okay, what is the right way for me to think? And what's wrong with something like that? But here's what I want to say to you. We serve a God that is a loving, loving God. And I know this to be true. If God tells me to stay away from something, it's dangerous. It's because it's going to hurt me. It's not because God hates anyone. It's not because God is closed-minded. It's not because God is old-fashioned. It's not because God has a lot of rules. No, out of the abundance of his love, he protects you and I. But here's what I've seen in our culture and in our crowd that has crept into the church is people are saying, hey, give us Barabbas. You know what? Give, hey, yeah. Why is, why is it such a big deal? It doesn't matter who loves who. Give us gay marriage. Give it to us. God is the God of love. I support love. I love love, right? Or give me my rights. Give me my choices. This is my body. Give it to me. God loves me. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. God wouldn't want, you know, uh, a baby to come into this world in those kind of circumstances. Give me my choice. Give me my alcohol. Give me my drugs. Give me my weed. I see the church crying, give us Barabbas. And listen, the crowd has made it really palatable. I've dealt with some of this in my own mind, had to answer some questions and go back to the Bible and say, okay, what does this really say? Because it used to just be the crowd saying, give us Barabbas, but now it seems like the church is saying it a lot too. There's a lot of Christians who are maybe cooler than I am who are trying to make things more palatable by saying, yeah, yeah, give us that. That makes sense to me, right? It's just love. It's not a big deal. God made weed. It's fine. It's not really a drug, you know? You know? It is my choice. You know what? Yeah, I should be able, I need to be able to make the best choice for me, for myself. But here's what we're doing. Just like the crowd said, give us a Barabbas. And Pilate was going, why are you asking for that? He's a murderer. He's dangerous. He's not safe. He shouldn't be mixed in your society. It's dangerous. In the same way, I think we see people asking for things that are dangerous. 
They're dangerous. God is a God of love. And again, we're not coming against these things with hate. And we're not being closed-minded. But it's a matter of saying, listen, I love myself enough and I love you enough to say that is dangerous. I'm not calling you a bad person. I'm not saying anything about you other than to say that's dangerous. That's why I can't allow that in my life. That's why I can't allow people I love to just do that in for me to say like, well, it's cool. You know, it's cool. It's fine. And listen, I've been in those situations. This is a message out of my heart where I don't want to be called judgmental. And so I keep my mouth closed. And I had some people say things to me uh, that in the moment made me feel good. Like, Morgan, you're, somebody said to me, you're really what a Christian should be. You're really what a Christian should be. You just love people. And at first I was like, okay, yes, thank you, Lord. And later the Holy Ghost said, Morgan, you don't love her if you just let her live in sin. That's destroying her life. When she talks about all her problems, you have the answer, but you don't want to be called judgmental, so you don't say anything. You just listen. I know it's a little uncomfortable, but it it helps because I understand how you feel at school and at work. No one wants to be called judgmental. No one wants to have their faith under attack. If there is any kind of article that pops out about like a pastor or a church, I read it immediately because I'm like, what are people saying? Like, what do people say about Christians? What are people saying about the church? It hurts to read those bad things, but then fear comes in because we think people are going to say those things about us. But here's what I want to say to you tonight and stir you towards. Make sure that we're not starting to ask for Barabbas instead of following Jesus. Because if we truly love people, I'm going to try and keep them away from things that are destroying their life. God has set it up. God, in this story, Pontius Pilate is kind of like God. He's saying, listen, listen, I'm telling you, you don't want to make that decision. This is dangerous. Why are you asking for it? Why are you fighting for your rights for that? Why? Why are you doing that? This is dangerous yet I think many of us have fallen under that mentality because the crowd is so loud and the crowd is so pushy and that's all we hear about and everything now is a, is a hot issue I understand how you feel I mean it sometimes I don't know how to talk to people about these things because it's so explosive and if you don't support something then people will automatically assume you hate it or they're going to assume you're like their you know crazy Christian aunt so-and-so and who knows what she thought I understand that, but the only way to change people's opinions of Christianity in the church is to be a real Christian and to be a real good one and say, hey, I love you. I love you no matter what you do. I no matter, love you no matter what kind of life you're living, but let me tell you how to be free if you want to. Let me tell you what's destroying your life because you don't realize it, and I can do that in love. If we want people to think differently about Christianity and the church, we're going to have to change. And we're going to have to open our mouth and not worry about being a cool Christian, but a Christian who really, really, really loves people. And so I love this story because it's such a cool illustration. And I think, you know, people are just really, really shaken these days. I see so many Christians who just seem shaken. And they say, like, well, I just don't know what to believe. Like, there's so many issues. Everything is is such a big deal. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to people. And trust me, I felt that way too. But we can't be shaken by the crowd. And in this story, just like the chapter before, we see Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples and best friends. He was shaken by a crowd. 
of like four. <laughs> it was a very small crowd. I'm not going to shade him for it though, okay? Sometimes a smaller crowd is harder than a bigger crowd. But he was one of Jesus' best friends. And it says he was walking and a young girl, a little girl said, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? And he said, uh, nope. And a couple other people gathered around and they were like, yeah, wait, we've seen you with Jesus. You know, we know you go to church. I know what you believe. Don't you go to that church that prays in tongues? Don't you guys, like, do you, like, lay hands on people? Isn't, aren't, isn't that you? And Peter said, nope, nope. And finally, he said, I don't know who you're talking about. And he ran away. <laughs> he got so pressured by the crowd that he lied about knowing Jesus, one of his best friends. Can you believe that? I think that is so shady, but you and I often do the same thing. I've done it too. I've never maybe said like, nope, I don't know Jesus. No, I've never heard of him, but I've kept my mouth shut in a lot of settings where maybe somebody brings up uh, praying in tongues and somebody else is like, yeah, that's so weird. And I just don't say anything, right? Or somebody makes a joke about laying on of hands or, you know, quick lay hands on him or something. And I just don't say anything. Why? I'm being pressured by the crowd. Our culture, I'm letting that put pressure on me. So that story about Peter, it can make us feel a little better. Okay, he was like Jesus' best friend. But he was shaken by the crowd. And I think that's a good warning to us to not be shaken by the crowd. It can happen to anybody. And I think it's interesting. Um, when you study other cultures, you see something that is very unique to us in the United States and Western culture. And that's the concept and the emphasis on the individual. It's really interesting to look at other cultures, and their emphasis is on the group and the community. We work together to support each other, right? Even dating back to, like, tribal times. Everybody in the tribe had a role. These are the hunters. These are the gatherers. These are the people who do this. But anything that I do, it's not just for me. It's for us, us. And we here in the United States have like no concept of that. Since we've been born, we have been told it is all about you. You can be whatever you want to be. You can think whatever you want to think. This is a free country. You do you. And I actually say that a lot. Do you? <laughs> I'm going to start reevaluating and I'll tell you why. <laughs> Our culture says you can do anything you want to do. It sounds like a good message, but listen, it's anti-scriptural, and it's why we're facing a lot of these things and why, as a country, we're demanding things that are hurting us because we're thinking, it's about me. This is what I want. This is my truth. This is what I think. This is what feels right for me. And we see in Galatians 2.20 what God actually tells us to do. He says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But it's really interesting for him to say, I've been crucified with Christ. I was put to death with Jesus. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. Another version says Christ living through me. Christ's life coming through me. What does that say to me? It is not about me. If you really want to get in on this Christianity thing and you really want to follow Jesus, you cannot do whatever you want to do. You cannot decide what your truth is. You can't decide what feels good for you. Your life is not your own. He said, it is Christ living through me. My life is not mine. When I signed up for this, 
it meant that I'm not supposed to just do what I want to do and decide who I want to be. It's not up to me. This is about us. This is about the family of God taking care of each other and loving other people enough to make sure sin, sin stays out of their life. And listen, listening to people who love me enough who want to point out the sin in my life too and not getting angry about them. Why? It's about us. It's not about you. And the Apostle Paul went as far to say, like, there is no you. And really, that's what a lot of cultures in the world are like. Like I said, that thought is very foreign to us and even very offensive, right? That's oppressive. Don't tell me what to do. No, I don't have to be just like you. I can be who I am. I don't know. The Bible says Christ lives through you. And if we are all to be like Jesus, there's going to be a lot of similarities, right? If we're all trying to be like the same person, there's going to be a lot of similarities. But we struggle with that because of our culture because of our loud crowd we're in God said it's not about you and that would take care of a whole lot of what we're demanding and we see even the church saying well I can love whoever I want to love it's not about me and if that's not what God says then okay that then I know that I'm being kept from something that would hurt me you know this is my body and my choice no it's a hundred percent not Paul just said I was crucified with Christ he tells us to submit Our bodies as a sacrifice. That is gruesome and gross. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound flattering. That's not cute and empowering, really, is it? I haven't seen that on any inspirational Instagram account ever. Crucify yourself today. Lay yourself down. It's not about you. That's the total opposite of what the crowd is telling us and what the culture is telling us. And please hear my heart. I've dealt with this too. This is why the Holy Ghost is bringing it up to me saying, no, 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 no. You're listening to the wrong stuff too much. It's easy to do because it's so loud and it's so pushy and it's absolutely everywhere. But we've got to come back to see what does the Bible say? If I believe God and I believe that he is a loving God and I trust him, then I'm going to do what he says. And I'm going to do my best to help you do it too because I love you. I'm not trying to be closed-minded about you. I'm not trying to make you struggle. And listen, there's been so many people lately, man, especially just come forth with, um, you know, stories of abuse in the church. Or saying, uh, people made me feel shamed. People told me I was going to hell. People, I, you know, said this and said that. And my heart goes out to those people because I do believe a lot of people have been mistreated in church. Why? Because church is full of people. Has anyone ever been rude to you at church and mean? Yeah, me too. It's because there's people here. (laughs) That's human. I'm not making excuses for the church. But I am saying those people are talking really, really, really loud And we're not to make people feel ashamed, but let's not let that silence us from letting them hear our love and say, no, this is why God says we need to live this way, right? Those stories are really, really loud. And I believe that there have been a lot of people who have had horrific experiences at church, and I hate that, and that's not the way God meant for it to be. But at the same time, I'm not going to throw the church away and just abandon it because of some mistreatment that happened that I couldn't control. Again, if there's a problem with the church, we're the answer. We're the church. Let's change it. If people think church is awful, well, let me speak up and tell them why church is great, why I love church, why I've had great experiences at church, why people haven't hurt me here. People have helped me grow here, why people have helped me overcome things. People who have had a bad experience 
talk about it really loudly, and I'm not blaming them for that. But I think if we've had a good experience, we should talk about it even more loudly. Because I really do believe there have been many, many, many more lives changed and saved by the church than have ever been ruined by the church. You know what I'm saying? Can we just talk about it really honestly? I see those stories too. I see those tweets too. And it can make you feel shaken and think, well, gosh, like so many people have had really bad experiences at church. Like, I can't imagine. Does the church cover this up? Like, are we, are we hiding this? Are we just letting this happen? And I can't speak for every church, but I can speak for this church and say that I know this is a church that helps to save lives and help people. And if I want people's opinion of the church to change, I need to be really loud about my good experiences so that they hear so many more good experiences than bad experiences. Does that make sense? This is on us. And the Holy Ghost has really been helping me see this is just not the time to be silent. It is uncomfortable to speak up. I get it. Especially if you're the only one in the room saying what you're saying. But you know what? You might not be the only one. If you open your mouth, there might be others too. But at the, at the same time, I do believe God uses us. And even if you are the only one in the room, you know, most of the people in the room might think you're an idiot. I don't know. But you might have one person who comes up to you and asks you where you would go to church or asks you to pray for them. Or next week when they're going through a really hard time and their depression is really bad, they might bring it up to you and you can ask, hey, can I pray for you about that? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying about you. Can I share a scripture with you that really brings me a lot of peace? We've got to start speaking up or nothing will change. We're in a very, very loud crowd. And I believe Christianity is collective. It's not about me. And it's not about you. And that's the opposite of what we've heard our whole lives, but it's really not about us. And the kind of ironic thing is when we really live as an individual for ourselves, it's so miserable. Like I think back in many of the times in my life where I was just, um, a lot of times maybe dealing with something really hard, really difficult. My life was terrible at the time, and, and I just tried to do it all by myself. I tried to be the individual. I just tried to deal with it on my own, and I was completely unsuccessful. I was mean to people around me. I was difficult. I was miserable. I hated being at church. I hated being anywhere, really, because I was so depressed. And I look back, and I think, well, yeah, I was trying to do it on my own. Christianity is collective. I believe I could have resolved that years prior, years before I did, if I had just gone to somebody for help and said, hey, I'm having a really hard time. Can you help me, please? Like, really need it. <laughs> this is terrible. That would have helped me so much because it's not about me. I need you. You need me. I need you. We need each other. And just like when we think about kind of those old tribal civilizations where everybody had a part in what they did was not just for their benefit, it was for the benefit of the group, that's how we're supposed to be living. What I do at home, I truly believe this. When I'm at home and I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible, it helps me a ton, but it's also for you. It's so that when you come to me and say, hey, I'm having a really hard time with this, I have something I can actually help you with. I don't just have to say like, yeah, me too, this sucks, right? When I am spending my time with God, it helps me, but it also allows me to help you. Do you see how we need each other, how we need that community? And we're standing here just being loud and, and fighting for our rights. And, and it sounds even better when you say, well, I'm fighting for the rights of others, you know, just because it doesn't happen to me doesn't mean it doesn't matter to me. And I believe that with my whole heart. But what are we fighting for? 
Are we fighting for destruction? Are we fighting for things that God says, that is dangerous? The wages of sin, what did Pastor Jordan say Sunday? The cost of sin is death. It's really intense. And it's not super popular to talk like that in churches because it kind of seems dramatic and it's a little off-putting. But at the same time, I love a good old-fashioned preacher who will just say, hey, sin will kill you. Sin brings death. That's why I'm going to be so loud about how God says to live, because if we really want life, we have to pursue that. I'm not going to stand back and let you pursue death and destruction. I won't do it. Even if you call me close-minded or, or say I'm old-fashioned or say that I, I hate you or whatever, none of that is true. But at the same time, we just can't be scared of what people are going to say because my love for you has to overwhelm any kind of fear of any pushback that I have like that. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach openly, openly, the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. And we tend to think of Jesus, I think, as being really, really popular. And it's like only the crusty religious church people didn't like him. But like on the streets, he was really popular. Everybody loved him. He was eating with sinners. He was doing all this cool stuff. And that's true. But there are a lot of times <laughs> where it'll say that Jesus was preaching. And it will say that like people, people were be- bewildered. Like, what is he saying? I, do, I don't understand. What is he talking about? You know, he was very controversial. It wasn't all love. It was love, but through love, there was a lot of call to repentance, right? And saying, nope, if you're going to follow me, you are going to have to die to yourself. It's not about you. If you're going to follow me, Paul says, I take up my cross. What is he saying? I'm taking up the acts of Jesus. What Jesus did, I'm going to do too. You know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And my point in saying that is that it's really clear Jesus did not make the gospel palatable. And I have been really guilty of doing that, and maybe you too. Like, how do I make, like, you know, I love God, so I don't want people to think bad things about God. So, like, how do I make them think he's really cool and really awesome so they'll come to church and then they'll, like, get right later? You know, I don't have to talk about their sin because it's fine. Like, God just loves them, and we can deal with that later. And I do believe that's true, but at the same time, I've realized in the last few years, no one is going to come to church if they think I'm just like them. Like, if they're at lunch talking about how depressed they are or how bad their anxiety is this week, and I'm just like, yeah, I know that feeling, why would they want to come to church? What benefit is there? If I'm just as depressed as they are and just as anxious as they are, why, why would they come to church, right? They're a selfish person just like you and me sometimes. If there's no benefit in it, why would I come? If there is no help, no answers, why would I come? Why come to church? You don't need church. You can sit home and watch YouTube. You can literally watch church on YouTube if you want, right? Same thing, right? Why would people come to church? And this is, I've been guilty of not thinking this way, but God said, go into the world and preach the gospel. And even though Jesus preached the real gospel and sometimes the hard gospel and the tough and the shocking gospel and everything else, people still followed him. There were people that were saved. He didn't sugarcoat it, and it worked. So I don't need to feel the need to sugarcoat it because I know that my job is just to go into the world and preach the gospel. Yes. 
Not make it sound friendlier, not make it sound a little softer than it is, uh, not try and make it more palatable or bring it into to modern day terms and avoid certain issues that I think might offend you because I don't want to offend you because I want you to come to church. No, it's not about that. The Bible really plainly tells us, hey, listen, there are some people who will never get it and never want it. And that's not my job to change that. That's a, between them and God. That's not my business. My business is just to go into the world and preach the gospel. And even though everyone won't respond, there will be people who will. There will be people when I step out and say, yeah, I understand what you're saying about anxiety. You know, my anxiety used to be really bad too, but I've caught a couple of really great scriptures that bring me a lot of peace. I can send them to you if you want. They might not want me to send them to them. That's fine. But then again, they might. I don't know. That's between them and God. That's not on me. Let's go into the world and preach the gospel. And if the crowd is being really loud, I'm going to be really loud too. If someone is going to be really loud about their sin, I'm also going to be really, really loud about the goodness of God and about his love for them and how there's a better way to live. If the crowd is being really pushy, like I said, if I'm in a crowd and I'm getting pushed too much, I eventually push back. And that's actually really effective. I didn't finish that thought earlier. You give somebody like a good heart, they like scooch back and they pretty much stay back for the entire rest of the concert. So pro tip. <laughs> but in the same way, sometimes I think if the church would stop just getting pushed around by a loud crowd and pushed around by people who are saying, oh, well, you're, you're close-minded. Oh, you hate gay people. Just push back a little bit and say, no, I don't. I love people enough to, to tell them I don't want to see them be destroyed by sin. Sin is real. Hell is real. God is real. None of those things are cool to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, because if the crowd is going to be loud and pushy, I will also be loud and pushy. In love, in love, but I got to love people enough to say something, not to just keep my mouth closed. So I want to encourage you tonight, like I told you, weirdest Easter message ever, okay? I did not see this one coming, but... I thought that was such an awesome illustration because we read that story of Barabbas and say, like, well, they're idiots. Why would they ask for, like, a murderer to be released? But I see a lot of the church asking for a lot of dangerous things to be released in the church. And I don't want to see that happen because I love the church. I believe the church has saved my life. I love this church so much. I love the local church. I love the global church. I love the church. And I'm not going to stand around while people are just shouting and fighting for destructive things to be allowed in the church. Amen? Does that make sense to you guys? Well, I love you. Like I said, it's it's kind of, I don't know if I should have said it was an Easter message. But anyway, I want to pray with you guys tonight. And thank you guys so much for listening tonight. We'll close here in prayer. Father, we are truly grateful that you love us enough, Father, to show us what's dangerous and show us what to stay away from, Father. You loved us enough not only to send Jesus to die for us, but also to show us how to really live, Father, to live in peace, to live in health, to live in everything you have for us, Father. So I ask that you would show each of us, Father, how we can start to speak up in the crowd and how we can start to be be loud when we need to and push back a little when we need to and ultimately show people your love, Father. I thank you as we seek you. You're going to begin to speak to us and show us areas where we can start speaking up, Father, not just for the sake of saying things or being loud, but for the sake of reaching people, Father, and helping them meet you. It's truly an honor to go into the world and preach the gospel, and we thank you, Father, for helping us do that better than ever. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at The Quarry, check us out on social media. 